Um, how are we called to live out our faith? How does all of this play out in our, our sort of... Yes, we belong to God. And, and that'll be, like, how do we express that in, in, our, in our everyday existence? How do we express it in our lifestyle? Um, how do we grow in that? Um, and we're actually starting out with First Peter this morning. Um, real quick, as a, as a background, um, the foundation of the church is going to be one of the major ideas here. Um, when I, I, I'm going to detour here. When I, when I worked in Houston, um, I, I got done with college, and, and actually it was a very sudden thing. Um, I didn't really plan past that point. I know it's hard to believe that I sometimes don't plan things out. Um, but it, it sort of happened that, like, I had a little two-week course I had to finish. So I went on Christmas break, and I came back, and I, I did this two-week class, and then all of a sudden college was over, and I hadn't found a job or a place to live or anything else. And actually, I remember sitting there. I was one of the only students that finished mid-semester, and the dean of students came in and said, okay, you're done. Get out, you know. That's summarizing it. You know, I was, I was basically told, well, you have until Monday to move. And, and I had no idea where I was going to go. <laughs> um, I, my parents lived thousands of miles away, and I didn't think my car would drive that far. Um, and, and I was dating Jessica. She was in Houston. We were, we were in Internet marriage, um, which is a bad idea, uh, except in our case. Um, and, and so um, I, I sort of made a decision and decided to move to Texas. And I moved down there. And with my college degree, I started looking for a job, and I, I learned a hard reality about the world, and that's that college is, is really nice until you need a job, and then it's, you know, either have a skill or you don't, right? My, my first job out of college was as an exterminator. Um, and I told someone, I told uh, Sunday school that a few weeks ago, and Becky uh, asked, uh, wait a minute, what haven't you done? To which I responded, made a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so I was an exterminator for, uh, I don't know, how long did I do that, honey? It seemed like forever. For like six months. I, 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 it was not a good fit. Um, <laughs> um, it, it's really bad when your exterminator jumps on the coffee table and yells, spider, spider. Um, <laughs> I, I, but I, while I was working as an exterminator, that never happened. Um, well... While I was working as an exterminator, I visited this house, and, and I remember it very clearly, actually, that, that going in, and they were having, they had termites, right, which in, in Houston, termites are, I mean, it's like, it's like flies here, you know, at a certain time of year, and they're everywhere, except it's all year round there, because Houston is horrible. Um, but but they, they had a problem with termites, where termite, they were in the walls, and they were everywhere, and so they, they were, you know, they brought us out, and we're looking at the place. And I remember I'm walking around, and I'm drawing a diagram of the place to figure out how much poison we are going to have to put in the ground and everything else. And I, I came up to one wall, and there was a crack in the wall. Anybody have cracks? Like, just, I mean, that's not that unusual. What was unusual, that this crack was almost an inch wide. And, and I thought, well, that can't be right. I shouldn't be able to see outside of your house from here. Um, and I, I, I was looking at it and I said to the, the, the owner, I said, what, what is this about? And, and he said, oh, and he pulled the carpet up and his, his slab had separated almost two inches, the whole length of the house. And very slowly his walls were beginning to crack because, you know, the foundation was broken. And so the house was coming apart. And amazingly, there were termites coming up through the foundation, um, and it struck me as really odd. I, I couldn't, we couldn't do a contract for him because it would have been dumb. Um, like the house, the house was done. Like he, he probably should have torn it down. But, but looking at it, 
Um, this is a guy who was looking at his walls and saying, there's termites in the wood, but the ground underneath him had shifted so far that the, the walls were going to fall down before long. Does that make sense? Do I understand construction well enough? Um, Brooke? <laughs> um, they were worried about they were worried about a problem that wasn't the big problem. The big problem was the split in the floor. And as long as that foundation was broken, as long as that foundation was unsteady, that house was going to continue to get worse. Termites are not, right? I mean, it 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 it, it wasn't going to get better just because we killed the termites. He had to fix a bigger problem that was present. Um, a lot of times, churches and people in general will will come to a point in their life where they realize that there are some things that are fundamentally wrong. And they'll look around and they'll say, this isn't okay, and this isn't okay, and this isn't okay. And they'll miss sort of a glaring thing that's underneath their feet. Um, we're going to be looking at how um, the church is to use, like, like Jesus as its foundation, and how we're supposed to use Jesus as our foundation, and honestly, how we're supposed to grow together. Um, this is going to be from Peter's first letter. Uh, in Greek, it's very rough. Peter was a fisherman. He probably would have been fairly educated by today's standards, but by ancient standards, he was not at all. And he was from the country, and so he probably had a strong accent, and people made fun of him. Um, that was actually uh, one of the first times he shows up in court. One of the rabbis says, well, these are unlearned men. He said that because they were from nowhere, right? It'd be like running into someone from West Virginia and saying, well, I'm sure you can't read, um, or Missouri. <laughs> I, anyway, um, <laughs> so we're going to jump in here. This is uh, chapter 2. Uh, Therefore, putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. We're going to hit pause here. The phrase putting aside is the same thing you would use for, like, taking off an unfit garment. Um, when Jess and I flew down to, um, flew down to Florida a couple weeks ago, um, I, I, when I fly, I dress like, a, you know, a bum because I want to be as comfortable as possible, and because and, airplanes are the least comfortable place in the entire world. Um, and and I, I, I was sweating, and I was hot because the air wasn't working right. And, and when we landed, Abby threw up all over us. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was wonderful. Um, and, and we got off the plane, and we got in the car. And, and I don't know if you all have ever been to Florida, but it's like living underwater. <laughs> it's so hot and humid and awful. And, and so by the time we get to where we're going, I'm like foul, right? And I, I remember actually I, I got in the pool then, like the house we were staying at had a pool. And I remember taking off the layers of clothing to get ready to get in the pool. And have you ever done that where you've got clothes on that are just gross and it just feels good to take them off? Um, you know, like, like that's, that's kind of what he's talking about here. He's talking about um, putting off, like taking off something that's, that's just not appropriate for you or that just isn't something you should be carrying around in your everyday life. It's the same phrase that is used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe putting on Christ, right? Like putting on his way of being, like carrying it as, a, as almost your clothing or your identity. Um, so he says, what are we supposed to put off? Well, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Um, has anybody ever encountered these things? I mean, I know it's... Anybody ever encountered them in the church? Does it usually make good things happen in the church is the follow-up question. No. Um, the reason that, that Peter is starting here is because these are things that are pretty much the opposite of what we ought to be about, right? 
I mean, this is who we are not supposed to be as Christians, um, as, as followers of Jesus. This is ill will. This is um, like, like basically the opposite of the love that, that Paul describes, right? Um, because Peter begins to point us in the direction of living as loving like people. Um, he goes on, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word. And I hit pause there. When Abby was, I don't know, probably about one, we began to transition her from, like, nursing milk to that powder. You know what I'm talking about? And the first time we tried it, um, we didn't try it. We left her at a babysitter. <laughs> and uh, that was Marsha, remember? And, and they, they went to give her that stuff. And the, the moment she tasted it, what did she do? She spit it out and she screamed. She said, I am not eating that. And later in the day, like, because she's fussy, you know, they tried again. And guess what? She didn't drink it then. And she didn't drink it after that. And she didn't drink it after that. And finally, she was so hungry that she drank it, right? But did she want it? No. She wanted what she was used to, this, this you know, it, you can't fake it, right? Um, that's kind of the, the description we're getting here. Um, as believers, we're supposed to crave this, like, like, the word, um, the word here is logos, um, L-O-G-O-S or lambda. Anyway, um, and and it it is literally describes like God's instruction to us. Um, you could read it sort of sideways and say that it's a reference to Jesus, right? Because Jesus is called the, the Word by the, in the Gospel of John and in some other spots. Um, but either way, we're supposed to desire um, instruction from God. What's it, that instruction for? Well. Um, so that you might grow in respect to your salvation. We're supposed to desire the word because the way we mature as Christians isn't through, you know, A, B, C, and D. Like, all right, first you've got to show up to church this many times, then you've got to learn when you're supposed to stand up during the songs, and you're supposed to, you know, wear appropriate clothing. And, you know, these aren't how we grow as a Christian. You grow as a Christian by growing closer to God. And a big chunk of how you do that is the word, right? Like, we learn about who he is. God gives us um, material that we can read. And it's not just instructional. Like, um, I have a friend who reads the Psalms whenever he's having a tough day. Like, why would he do that? Well, he would do that because we learn about God's character and we experience God's comfort through the Psalms, right? And we crave it because when we go through difficulty, if we look to God and we grow in him, like we consume this stuff, it fills us. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying, Peter's saying, look, um, Put this junk aside and instead focus on this. Don't, like, like invest in your self-interest. Instead of, like, seeking out your own desires and your own wants and the anger and the bitterness and the, the, the gossip and all this other garbage, focus on the things that are going to grow you, that are going to make you into something better, that are going to develop you as a believer, um, draw you closer to God. Um, ultimately, like it says, uh, may grow you in respect to salvation. Part of what he's talking about there is what we're saved from is, is our sin, right? We don't overcome sin by being good. We don't overcome sin by showing up to church. We don't overcome sin by trying really, really, really hard. We overcome sin by growing spiritually. When we draw closer to God, he helps us do better, right? Um, in the Middle Ages, uh, of the, the church, it was a common practice amongst monks when they would do something bad, they would hurt themselves to punish, right? Um, it was called self-flagellation, which sounds like something very different. Um, 
<laughs> just seeing if anybody's awake. Uh, <laughs> but but that, that's, that's not how we do it. We don't punish ourselves for failing. We turn to Jesus when we stumble. We turn to Jesus and we grow, and we grow toward our salvation. What are we saved from? From sin. And so this growth, this desire for the word, um, makes us holy because we work away from this place we were. Um, he goes on. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, um, so actually the complete sentence would be, um, like newborn babies, uh, long for the pure milk of the word so that by you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. The way this is phrased in Greek, it's basically he's saying, you know this is true, right? You've tasted the kindness of the Lord, um, and so you should do this if you know that what God is doing for you is right. The other thing that's buried here is a pun. I love puns. I really do. And you can't get it because we're not reading it in Greek, right? But um, kindness um, is Christos, right? Which is C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S. And Jesus, or Jesus Christ, the Christ, right? Christ would be Christos. And so part of what he's saying here, the kindness of the Lord, but he means Jesus. Like if you know Jesus, if you know that Jesus, the Son of God, like literally died for you, took all of the punishment we deserve for our sins and carried it on his back and took punishment for all of it so that you can like be saved from the crap you do. I mean, from the bad stuff you do, sorry. Um, like if you know that that's true, if you've tasted of that, then you should desire this milk. You should de- desire to grow away from this stuff and toward this Jesus who saved you. Um, I love puns. Uh, going on, four to five. And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. Um, Peter begins to do something cool here. And it's something that, that if you're not a first century Jew, it's gonna, you're going to lose it, right? And so I'm going to explain this real quick. Um, and we'll probably come back to this verse in just a second. This is called midrash, right? Um, when rabbis would sit down and they'd read a text, they would um, then write commentaries on it, and they would very often use a lot of Bible verses, and instead of quoting them directly, they would take pieces of them and piece them together to explain their point. Everybody got that? It was a style that's not all that easy to do, actually, um, but is really common amongst learned folks in the ancient world, amongst um, people who were writing scholarly material. Um, the three passages he quotes heavily here are Psalm, 20, or Psalm 118.22, Isaiah 28.16, and Isaiah 8.14. I'm going to go through them real quick because when we go back, we're going to like see it, and it's really neat, actually. Um, Isaiah 28, Therefore... Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation, firmly placed. He who believes in it will not be disturbed. Um, Isaiah 8 is, Then he shall become a sanctuary, but to both the house of Israel a stone to strike and a stone to stumble over and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And then uh, the Psalm 118 is, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. I want to explain that real quick. Um, we don't build foundations out of stone anymore, right? We pour concrete. Make sense? Um, the last house we lived in didn't have a right angle in it. Anybody ever been in a house like that where you try to like put down carpet and you got to kind of taper the carpet because the walls aren't straight? 
and you know you're trying to put up framing and it's just like oh gosh you know I gotta <laughs> use a lot of wood putty here so you can't tell. Um, <laughs> In the ancient world, you wouldn't cut stone on site, and there was no such thing as concrete. And so miles and miles away at the quarry, they would pre-cut the stones, and they would send those stones to the work site, and you would build based on the, the pre-cut. Now, the cornerstone, if the cornerstone was a quarter of an inch off, what happens? Oh, you've got a disaster, because that quarter inch gets bigger and bigger and bigger the further you go. And by the time you get to the end, you're like eight inches off, and all of a sudden your house looks funny like the house we moved here from. Um, and so like, like when he says, when the psalmist says, the cornerstone that was rejected, meaning that the builders looked at it and said, the dimensions aren't right, let's get rid of it. He's saying the truth that, that oftentimes folks reject becomes the corner of the church. That truth we understand is Jesus. Jesus came to the world and was rejected by, you know, by the people who were supposed to accept him. He becomes the measuring stick, the direction by which we build everything, right? The church is built based on that. It's not built based on, you know, um, Jim Durga's preferences. Jim likes this, and so the church is going to fit his preference. No. As much as I like Jim, and he's a great guy, Jesus is our measure, right? I, I don't get to decide what our church does, right? I don't get to say, hey, guys, we're going to start selling ice cream during the week to pay the bills, that wouldn't be in keeping with our with our mission. Um, I'm going to take this a step further, and some folks won't like this. Our politics don't determine what we do. We act based on Jesus. Everybody with me? Um, Jesus, that cornerstone, should direct everything else, or else by the time you get your walls up, they're going to look funny, right? And within a year or two, things are going to start coming apart, and that foundation underneath you isn't going to stand properly. Um, I'm going to back up to um, that line. Um, and coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, see the, the quote, um, but is chosen and precious to the sight of God, meaning that Jesus is this cornerstone, and you also, meaning all Christians, so you people, right? You're all stoned, stones. Um, I, just again, seeing if anybody's awake. I'm a terrible person. Um, as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, meaning we line our lives up with Jesus and we become the church because we line up with him, right? Um, if your stones don't match the cornerstone, which do you get rid of? Or which is the problem? Is it the cornerstone? No. We as believers, we as the family of God, are to conform our life to fit into that pattern so that we conform to the cornerstone. It's the measure by which we are measured. Um, we're being built up into a spiritual house. A little later, Peter says, you people, this is not your home. This world is not your home. Eternity, heaven is your home. And you're supposed to be like strangers and aliens, basically like homeless people, right? Um, well, if we're being built up into a spiritual house, where are we supposed to live? With us, right? Believers are called to stand together and take care of each other. When you feel alone, the people who are supposed to take care of you are here, right? It's the body of Christ. When you are in trouble and there's storms around you, your shelter is the folks around you, the body of Christ. We're supposed to take care of each other. Um, and he says a priesthood. Peter begins to apply the phrases that were traditionally associated with the Jewish people 
he, and he starts applying them to the Christians. Christians, we're, we're a holy priesthood. We stand before God as representatives of him. We offer spiritual sacrifices. That's our lives. That's our prayer. That's our worship. That's our service. That's our love. That's our everything that we do. is supposed to be like priests offering sacrifices. Your life is a living sacrifice offered to Christ. Um, and when you struggle, you stand together. But we're all measured by that cornerstone. Everybody with me? It's kind of a neat, neat lineup of ideas. I'm going to jump back ahead. Oh, oh thank you. Um, can you move me forward? I got stuck. <laughs> um, this... For this is contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay a stone in Zion. uh, This is, again, that line from uh, Isaiah. Behold, I lay a stone in Zion, a choice stone and a precious cornerstone, and he who believes him will not be disappointed. Meaning, if you are measuring your life according to that, you're not going to come apart, right? You will remain strong. You will not stumble. Now, for folks who don't believe in him, Jesus becomes a stumbling block, right? Um, And that is a hard thing. It is a really hard thing to say somebody else gets to make decisions for me, right? Because we are fiercely independent. I want what I want. When do I want it? Now. Now. (laughs) And so for us to say this man was God and he becomes the measure for our lives, if we don't buy that, it becomes a stumbling block and we either have to address it or ignore it, right? There's some crazy things that are said about Jesus. There's some crazy things that are taught about Jesus in order to make him into something he wasn't. Um, there are people who try to make Jesus into a political figure or a, an economics advisor or a, you, know, you name it. And ultimately, he was a son of God. And he's the cornerstone by which we live. We don't force him into our mold. We step into his mold or else we trip over him. Um, this precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected has become the very cornerstone. What does that mean? Well, Jesus himself, right? Jesus himself is amazing to us because he gives us a pattern to follow, right? He saves us and we build our lives according to him. Um, But um, when you stumble over something, sometimes you have to take it seriously. Does that make sense? There's a guy, uh, uh, the case for Christ, uh, Lee Strobel. Um, He's an atheist and an author, and he set out to disprove Christianity. He studied it and researched it and studied it and researched it and then became a Christian and wrote the book he intended to write about why Jesus isn't, like, real. Um, The book he wrote was, well, this is why it's true. Uh, Josh McDowell is another Christian writer who did the same thing. He set out to prove that Christ was a a myth, and in the end, he converted when he researched it enough. Um, The benefit of Christ, the stumbling block is... He forces us to look at him, right? Um, we were, the house we stayed at in Florida had a very low step in the kitchen. You ever been in a house like that? And, like, if you don't pay attention, what happens? Yeah, you throw water all over the kitchen, just like Jess did. Um, <laughs> I was going to bring that up. Thanks for beating me to it. I had no idea you did that. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> but that stumbling box forces us to pay attention, doesn't it? And ultimately, if you trip over it enough times, eventually you have to back up and say, well, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? Um, 
And that's the benefit to all of us, like to those who, who don't believe. Um, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for those who stumble because they are disobedient to his word and to those uh, into this doom they were also appointed. Um, we're going to go on. This is 9 and 10. Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. When I came to Jesus, it was out of a bad place. My life was not good, right? Becoming a Christian was a lifesaver for me, and it was a life changer for me. I had a stretch of time in the middle of my, my walk with Christ where everything was a disaster, right? Where I had fallen away and become somebody I was not meant to be, where I had begun to ignore what the cornerstone said, and I said, this is what I want. And I began to build according to my own desires. And ultimately, Jesus pulled me out of that pit, right? Um, one of the spiritual sacrifices we're to offer um, is telling people. How many of y'all have come from that place? How many of y'all have found yourself in that spot where you know if you were left to your own devices, you would be in a lot of trouble? Not just because you'd have to stand before God with your own weight, the weight of your sin, but also because the weight of your sin is crushing you. Some of y'all are in that place now. Um, as, as a holy priesthood, as, as, as priests before God, we're supposed to share this. We're supposed to proclaim it. We're supposed to sing about it. We're supposed to make people aware. Um, this is a part of our calling. Um, is to share with folks how our testimony, um, the truth about who Jesus is. Uh, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, he's talking to like a lot of Gentiles at this point, and he's saying, you people were not like the Jews. You were not a people. You didn't belong anywhere. Now you do, right? The closest thing I would compare this to would be the res. Um, one of the cool things about, about the reservation and about, about um, the, the tribe is those folks know they belong to each other, don't they? You know, and they know like, like that they're a part of this, of this people. Um, as the church, that's us, right? We belong to each other. We were once not a people, but now God has made us into one. A holy priesthood built into a house to give shelter to each other. Um, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, meaning you don't live here, right? You are passing through this place. Um, to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Um, if I'm passing through, I need to recognize that my flesh and fulfilling my desires and feeding the, the, the wickedness that's inside me that's in all of us, right, ain't going to get me where I'm going. If I'm traveling to a destination and I stop, that's something that uh, Jess and I struggle with when we travel, right? Jess wants to stop. It's true, right? I will drive and drive and drive and drive. If I can get the kids to fall asleep and Jess to fall asleep, I'll drive until she wakes up and realizes that I've been driving all night and yells at me, right? Jess likes to stop. And, and the attitude difference there is, like, like as an illustration of what Peter's saying, Peter's saying, you're going somewhere. Every time you stop, it takes you longer to get there. Not so much longer. Every time you stop, you don't get where you're going. When we feed our flesh, we're not moving in the direction of being like Christ. We're not becoming what we were made to be. We're getting lost along the way. Um, 
we're supposed to act like strangers and aliens. Well, where's our home then? Our home is with us and our home is in eternity. You are in your home when you are with other believers. And ultimately, eternity will be with God and other believers. So as much as you don't like them, you better learn to. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them before men, glorify God in the day of visitation. That is a hard sentence because Greek is a ridiculous language. I'm going to try to explain this as best I can. Um, he's saying... There are Gentiles, there are non-believers who are con- accusing you of stuff. In the ancient world, Christians were frequently accused of being atheists. Isn't that weird? <laughs> because their God was invisible and they only had one. Whereas most people worship rocks and trees and the emperor or anybody else that came along. They had gods everywhere, right? Because Christians didn't worship all that stuff, they would say, well, you guys are just atheists. You don't even believe in anything. Not true, right? Um, Christians would refer to themselves as brother and sister, Right? He's my brother in Jesus. She's my sister in Christ. My wife is my sister in Jesus, right? Well, people would come along and they'd be like, wait a minute, brother and sister, but you guys are married. <laughs> and so what did they assume? Something silly, actually. Um, but they would accuse them of incest. Um, the, the Lord's Supper, right? What are we eating? Body and blood of Christ, right? So what did they assume? cannibalism <laughs> and, and christians were is one of the reasons christianity became illegal in, in the roman empire and christians were like widely persecuted was because they assumed all these things weren't true and peter is saying listen they're going to say this garbage about you but when they say it love them and act even better than what they expect so that they have to take you seriously and if you do that if you live it out and you do your good deeds and you serve the folks around you and you act like the royal priesthood Ultimately, some of those folks may glorify God in front of God when, you know, when eternity comes. Um, there's a response that's very common from Christians nowadays when somebody says something nasty about us. We call them heathens or pagans. Or we say something nasty back, right? Or we, we rail against them. Or we talk about how everybody from this group is evil or whatever. That's the opposite of what Peter's talking about here. Um, as believers, as the church, kind of in conclusion here, what Peter is calling us to do is to live a life that is, that's measured by a different standard than everyone else in the world, right? We're supposed to be different. We're supposed to go out there and folks are supposed to look at us and know we're different. Um, I read about a church. I don't know that I really want to. Well, this, this guy, uh, um, the pastor at this church, uh, had a radio show, a call-in radio show where he would talk about theology. And somebody called him and asked him about about homosexuality. And he talked about what the Bible had to say. And he received a lot of anger in response. Um, and there was a lot of angry letters sent and phone calls. And ultimately, this group in the community decided to come out and protest his church. And he heard about it. And so he sat down with the folks in his church, and they discussed it. And when folks showed up with their picket signs before church, um, everybody in the church came out and fed them breakfast. And they said, well, why don't you come in? And they, oh, no, we're here to pick at you. Well, would you like to come for lunch at our house? Why don't you come on over? And before the service was over, everybody had gone home. And when asked about it by the papers, the folks said, you can't pick at people who are that nice. There were accusations leveled against folks. Our response when accused is to love folks more and harder and deeper than they expect. 
And in that, they'll encounter Christ. And not just Christ, but a Christ they have to take seriously because they're stumbling over him. Because they just can't figure out why the place isn't leveled the way they expect it to be. Um, Church, my challenge for you, and in the coming weeks we're going to explore this, is how do we grow into that, right? Because it is hard to love people who treat you bad. Amen? It is hard to love people who have treated you bad throughout your life. People who are cheating you. People who are rotten. People who are mean. People who are horrible. It is hard. Um, But we're to grow into it. It's not just pick up the entire weight the first time. It's grow into the man that God created you to be or the woman that God created you to be who can bless folks like that. And beyond that, be a shelter to each other. Um, We're going to look at what the church is. How do we do this growth? How do we build into this growth? How do we become something that folks look at and they say, I want that. The first time I visited a church, I was 15, 14 maybe. And I didn't know anything about what they believed, but talking to those folks, I wanted whatever they had. Does that make sense? I wanted to be amongst them. I wanted to learn about them. I wanted to be one of them because they were like nobody that I had ever met. And it changed my life. And that's what we're called to be, a peculiar people in this world. Um, And that's what we're going to look at for the next few weeks. We're going to close in prayer, and we do not have a closing song. Um, I guess we'll close with a blessing as well. So we'll pray, and we'll close with a blessing. Um, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. Help us to help us to be a shelter from the storm for each other. Help us to grow our lives into into a great thing, Lord, into into the church, into a shelter for for those who need it, and into family. Help us to um, use discernment and, and measure our lives according to that cornerstone that we're supposed to be building on, the firm foundation. In Christ's name, Amen. Um, Stand up and we'll close with a blessing.